You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy is what it is. Trying to do too many things at once. So very happy to be with you all today, and I'm glad that you could join me for another day. Did that sound hostile enough? (laughs) So glad you're here. Great. No, I am. I'm glad. It's great. It's a good day. So uh, a little bit of Packers news, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. A couple things I want to run through today. I do want to start looking a little bit at the Pittsburgh Steelers, just a cursory look. You know what I mean? We've got to ease into these things. But I want to have a good understanding by the time we get all the way through it. I did pose a question and a poll in the uh, Patreon community, which is actually, it's going a lot better than I expected. And Patreon's actually done some pretty cool stuff I didn't even realize. It's pretty easy to post. I can't do polls from my phone, which is why the poll came in late, and I apologize for that. But it is kind of cool because I can look at it live. So uh, the poll question was, how many wins will the Packers have at the end of the season? Um, And so those tallies are coming in as we speak, as well as some questions. So we'll get to the questions. But I I think we should do the Steelers first, because I was a little bit late with the questions and the poll. Well, news, Steelers, questions, poll. But the other thing that they've got on um, the old Patreon is there's a, I forget what they call it, but it's basically a way to just like post videos or, you know, pictures, I guess. But what I would use it for, I was, I've been thinking about doing updated podcasts and I may still do that. I don't really know. It's just not the easiest thing in the world to do. I got to have a separate recorder and then upload that to the hosting thing. And then I probably got to go to a computer so I can tweak some stuff, add things and whatever. And then it's just, it's kind of clunky, but another perk is that, um, aside from being really easy is it would be another perk for the patrons. I could just upload real quick videos breaking news, this happened, here's my thoughts, make sure you don't miss the podcast, although, I mean, you guys are already patrons, I don't really need to beg you to uh, support me, <laughs> please listen to my show, like I do with everybody else, but I don't know, the, the, obviously the competing thing here is, if I do this, are more people going to be like, dude, I got to get in on that Patreon, and it's a net gain for me, or should I just upload it to, uh, as a shorter podcast, and, you know, make a few shameless dollars off of those annoying ads that start in the beginning. I don't have any control over that, by the way. That's it's not my fault. Nothing I can do about it. I'm contractually, I'm literally contractually obligated. Signing the contract wasn't obligatory, but I still like to blame them. Blame them for finding the advertisers and providing me with income to do this podcast. Shame on them. Rage and hatred. That's what I have in my heart. All right. Um, news of the day. Mr. Uh, Tyler Lancaster has been placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. As a result, we've signed Tyler Davis off of the Colts practice squad. 
Uh, may come as a surprise to some of you, but um, Tyler Lancaster right now is already our fourth defensive tackle on the team. We haven't really talked about it very much, but looking at total snap counts so far, Kenny Clark 151, um, Dean Lowry 116, and then Kingsley Kiki is next with 105. Tyler Lancaster is all the way down here at 64. So he's had about half as many opportunities. And granted, he's more of a nose tackle kind of guy. He's a bigger you know, player or whatever. But um, he's had about half the amount of opportunities as Dean Lowry and um, substantially less, about 40, well, literally exactly 41 snaps less than Kingsley Kiki. Um, so not saying he won't be missed or that they don't really like him, but I, I think very obviously Tyler Lancaster, again, being sort of that bigger body type of guy, TJ Slayton's going to slide right into that role. And as of right now, they're basically graded out about the same, rated about a 60. Um, also, Kingsley Kiki is uh, quite terrible right now, but hoping he kind of steps it up. Everyone's had, and he did have a better day. His first week was a 36 overall, which is ridiculously terrible. Uh, the next week was a 44, which again, not good. The next week, 54, still bad, but progressively better every single week. It'd be nice if he get a pressure one time. He's got 62 uh, reps. He should have a minimum of six pressures. He has exactly zero. So he's off to a really, really bad start. But anyways, they obviously like him a lot. They've already leapfrogged um, Lancaster. And again, TJ Slayton is going to slide right into that role. I mean, it's one less guy to kind of rotate through, but they'll be fine. But anyways, let's uh, turn our... Att- uh, did we say we we're going to do Steelers? Yeah, we did. We're going to do Steelers now. I'm trying to remember what my plan was. Turn our attention to the 2021 Pittsburgh Steelers. In fact, let's look at 2020 really quickly here. Um, last year, they managed to be 12-4, and but you got to remember, they started the season 11-0. and This was one of those really weird situations where this was a dominant team, and, and really what it was is an elite, and I mean elite, defense. Um, that had a complementary and, um, I guess, at least competent to good offense. And somehow, some way, the offense just completely fell off a cliff. I mean, completely fell off a cliff. And I think the defense sort of struggled, which, you know, I mean, everything kind of works in tandem. So that's going to happen, I guess, to some degree. But they ended up losing one, two, three, five of their next six games. So they went 11-0 and and ended 12-5. and And the real dagger here is they ended up losing almost all these games. In fact, they lost all these games because of their offense. Um, the defense did a great job. The most points anybody scored against them was 27, um, generally low 20s. But their offense scored 17, 15, 17. They finally got to 28 points. Imagine that. And they won because, again, the defense kept the score low. And then 22 points and lost that game too. The real dagger, though, is in the wild card game against the Cleveland Browns, because obviously they start 11 0, you're going to limp your way in. The offense actually scored 37 points against Cleveland, but they lost because the defense gave up 48 points, which is by far the most the defense gave up. In fact, the defense had not given up 30 points all year. Nobody had reached 30 points against the Steelers until they get into the playoffs. The offense finally wakes up and the defense gives up 48 points points to the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns, who the defense just held, they just held the Cleveland Browns to 24 points the week before. It was back-to-back weeks. Apparently, Cleveland learned something about the Steelers the week before and are like, all right, let's let's take advantage of that. And they just absolutely shredded them, scoring nearly 50 points. 
And I mean, if we just go through, um, week 12 is right around when the offense died out, even though they did win that game against Baltimore, the offense scored 19 points. The only reason they won is because somehow the Steelers kept the Ravens to 14 points. But that was clearly when the offense just nosedived. I mean, if you just look at their scores, 26, 26, 28, 38, 38, 27, 28, 24, 36, 27, and then it's 19, 17, 15, 17. (laughs) That's how they went. So week 12 is when something just died. But if we go through the offense, Ben Roethlisberger was like uh, from weeks 1 through 11, like a 75 overall grade, which is fine. From week 12 on, he had a 58 overall grade, from a 75 to a 58. If you look at the receivers, you've got basically four of their five wide receivers graded as good. Um, James Washington was their worst of the five wide receivers. He had a 63 overall grade, but 75, 73, 71 uh, 69-64, basically, is what the grades were. After week, or from week 12 on, you had the highest grade was a 71. Nobody else was in the 70s. You had a 69, 62, 61, and a 56. So every single wide receiver got worse. Ben Roethlisberger got worse. If you look at the running backs, they weren't ever really very good, but James Conner had a 75, or a, yeah, 70 overall grade, so he was fine. Nobody had a 70, or even a, I think 60 was the highest grade any running back had. So again, Roethlisberger's in the 50s. The running backs are in the 50s. The wide receivers are in the 60s, like average, except for one guy. I think Claypool managed a 70. Uh, If you look at the first half of the season in the offensive line, um, you've got the left tackle with a 75 overall grade. Left guard was a 65. Center wasn't very good. Pouncey was struggling. Uh, 66 overall grade for DeCastro at right guard, but he had an 85 overall pass blocking grade. And then their right tackle, again, 57, but about a 70 pass blocking grade. In the second half of the year, the left tackle, Villanueva, who was at, a, I think I said like a 75, dropped to a 68. Uh, left guard, 67. Center is a 53. Right, guard's f- uh, right guard is a 61. Right tackle is a 57. So their best offensive lineman would have been Villanueva at a 68 overall grade. They didn't have one good offensive lineman. They didn't have one good running back. They didn't have a good quarterback. They had a bad quarterback. And they had one barely good wide receiver. And by the way, their tight ends, it's not even worth looking at. But uh, Ebron had a 55 overall grade for the season and in the second half of the year. So obviously the first half of the year was pretty similar. So 50s, again, subpar. Not one good thing about this team. I mean, to be fair, the offense wasn't that good to start the season. I mean, you had some, again, Ben Roethlisberger's in the 70s. A couple of the guys on the offensive line were in the 70s. A couple wide receivers are in the 70s. You can live on that. You know what I mean? I mean, that's 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 livable, especially when you have maybe the best defense in football. But when you drop to having zero, and I mean zero good football players on your offense, you're cooked. So far this year, um, they are 1-2. and two. They have the 12th ranked defense and the 28th ranked offense. The offense doesn't seem to have improved, and the defense, um, having played the Bills, Raiders, and Bengals, is only 12th. And if you say, well, yeah, well, they played the Bills, the Bills are the only game they won, and the defense only gave up 16 points. They gave up 26 to the Raiders and 24 to the Bengals. So this elite defense, and I know TJ Watt wasn't there last week, but he was two weeks ago, this elite defense is even starting to struggle. I mentioned to you Mika Fitzpatrick was the lowest graded safety in all of football. That's a terrible start. And again, you can expect these guys to get better. So it's not going to be that bad. But the point is, if you got the 28th ranked offense, even if you get to 7th best from 12th or 5th best, 
you're not going to win a lot of games. I'm sorry. You're going to be losing a lot of, uh, you know, 18 to 14 games. On that note, again, nothing super in-depth, but just looking at basic grades to see what's improved and what hasn't, Ben Roethlisberger right now is at a 55 overall grade. Clearly, this is a big part of the problem. Ben Roethlisberger has been declining since, I don't know, let me take a look. I want to say like 2017, 2016. Um, Yeah, so 2015, he had an elite grade. Uh, From 2016, 2017, he had a very good grade in the 80s. 2018 was in the 70s, and he just completely plummeted. He fell completely off a cliff in 2019. 40, 69, and right now 55. And that was a 69 last year, which is apparently the first half of the year was some kind of a fluke because... (laughs) Uh, well, I, I, the 49, I guess, isn't fair. He didn't play in 2019. Maybe that's the thing, the injury. He's just, he's cooked. Because whatever happened the second half of last year is continuing this year. Now, granted, he had a 73 overall grade against Las Vegas, but he had good games last year, too. The point is, it averages out at a 55, which is exactly what he had the second half of last year. The wide receivers, almost exactly the same, just different names. One guy in the 70s. And this time, this time it's Deontay Johnson. After that, you got three 60s, Cody White, Chase Claypool, and Juju Smith-Schuster. James Washington and Ray-Ray McLeod are 50s and 40s. One big benefit is Pat Fryermuth has taken a big step. He's in the 70s. Nothing necessarily super fantastic, but good, you know, competent, I guess. All of these guys can pass block, too, which I guess is kind of nice, especially, you know, depending on the offensive line, I guess. But um, so, so far, the only difference is Pat Fryermuth. At running back, they added Najee Harris, which I thought was the dumbest thing in the world. It reminded me of the Bengals taking a wide receiver, which seems to be working in their favor. Maybe I was wrong about that. I don't know. But it's just, it's one of those things where your entire team is falling apart and you're getting a running back. Your offensive line is decimated. Your quarterback is completely done. Your wide receivers don't want to be there anymore. You got Juju, who used to be the greatest guy in the world, now all of a sudden doesn't care about anything. He's doing TikToks on the sideline. I mean, not on the sideline, while he's on the field waiting for the snap. And you get a running back. Okay. Well, right now he has a 57.8 overall grade, 59.8 running grade. Benny Snell is a 50.2. So you don't even have an average running back right now. He's been terrible. Is the offensive line better? Well, our left tackle, Dan Moore, because again, all new people, because all the old people are leaving. Same story. Again, this is why, it's another reason why I respect the Packers. They keep taking swings at position, at places like offensive line, because you need a lot of them, and there's a lot of turnover you got all these other teams with historically elite offensive lines. The Steelers' offensive line was the, the, the stuff of legend for like 10 years. But we just let it erode. We don't do anything about it, whatever. So Dan Moore is their left tackle, 60 overall grade. Uh, Kevin Dotson, 57 at left guard. Their center, uh, Kendrick Green, 55 overall grade. Right guard, Trey Turner. These are entirely new people. 65 overall grade. And Chikuma Okorafor. Uh, their right tackle, 59. So the only guy that isn't bad so far is Trey Turner with a 65 overall grade. This team, and, and, and listen, these aren't like horrifically bad. You know, you, you got some offensive lines with like el- elite level trash players, if that makes any sense, like next level suck. None of these guys really, ne- but they're all just kind of bad. So the entire offensive line is bad. The running back is bad. The wide receivers are bad. The quarterback is bad. But you got Pat Fryermuth, who's been pretty decent. Am I missing a position? I mean, I I don't want to sound ungrateful because I'm happy about this situation. I really am. But it's just frustrating from a football fan standpoint to watch something that doesn't need to be this bad become this bad. I mean, it's 
especially when you look at the defense and see how much elite talent is there and realize, man, if they had just maybe wised up, maybe if they had drafted a quarterback a few years back so that they were prepared for this, that would have been great. I mean, they did take a swing at, uh, what's his name, Mason Rudolph, but that was clearly not the answer a long time ago. Uh, continue to build the offensive line, Any anything, anything at all. Uh, wide receivers, we thought we had it licked because we had Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster and we drafted Chase Claypool and I guess they did take a lot of swing at wide receivers. The other problem is sucking at drafting all of a sudden, but is what it is, I guess. But anyways, as far as the defense, again, just very quickly, the guys you got to worry about, uh, Cam Hayward is a monster. I believe he is the second highest graded defensive tackle, if not the highest graded. I know, uh, obviously, Aaron Donald is in the conversation. He is, by the way, tied in terms of pass rush uh, with 15 pressures with uh, Kenny Clark. But he's got a much higher grade because he has a 91 run def- run defense grade and a 91 pass rush grade, and Kenny Clark has neither of those two things. Also, Isaiah Bugs, who does hasn't been playing a lot, uh, is graded out quite highly. So that's maybe somewhat of a wild card slash fluke because they don't seem to want to play him. So it is just one guy, and if if there weren't guys off the edge, uh, I wouldn't be as worried. But there are. Obviously, the number one among them is T.J. Watt, 92 overall grade, basically eight pressures on 57 attempts. He hasn't played a ton. But that's obviously a lot. Three sacks on 57 attempts is is also a lot. But there's also um, Melvin Ingram, who is doing fine. Uh, 71 overall grade. He has 12 pressures on 87 attempts, which is very high. Only one sack, though. Alex Highsmith also grading out quite well, mostly as a run defender. But again, you've got two guys that can rush the passer real well. Uh, One guy that's great against the run. And by the way, the other two guys are also quite good against the run. So the edge is fantastic, and you have one of the best defensive tackles in football. So, you know, again, people who are saying, well, you guys thought uh, you guys thought the Steelers had a good defensive line. Cleveland has the best defense. You got, you're out of your mind. The Steelers' defensive line is better than Cleveland's. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm glad that you're impressed with nine sacks, and that's a thing that happened. And, yes, Miles Garrett is a freak, but uh, Justin Fields and that offensive line caused those nine sacks. It's funny, I was watching something where they put up a graphic of how many players have seen that many sacks, and if you look at that list of quarterbacks, it's like Brett Hundley, I think, was number two, and some other guys on there. It's like, all those quarterbacks are terrible. Maybe there's a correlation. Considering those guys also hardly ever played football, it seems highly statistically unlikely that those guys would experience the most sacks. Look at how many times Tom Brady has played football. Why hasn't he experienced something like that? How many times has Aaron Rodgers played compared to Brett Hundley? But yet Brett Hundley has experienced more intense sack-type games. Do you think maybe Brett Hundley is a contributing factor to that? I think so. Just saying. Maybe I'm wrong. If nothing else, they're just not scared of you at all, and they're just unleashing the hounds. Like, you go ahead and throw to whoever you want. We're going to rush 19 every single time. I don't know how we're going to statistically, magically, mathematically do that, but we're going to figure out a way, and we're going to do it. Anyways, uh, yeah, so they have a very good defensive line. Linebackers, however, completely different story, which is a nice change of pace because we have gone up against some very good linebackers. Uh, the New Orleans Saints have phenomenal linebackers. The I, I would venture to venture to say, if that makes sense, the top two linebackers potentially are on the Saints and the 49ers. Maybe Tampa's got one too, but I mean, two of the best. The Steelers so far have uh, Joe Schobert, who has a 55 overall grade, Devin Bush, who is a very popular pick for the Packers, I mean, among Packer fans, 52 overall grade, and then Robert Spillane, 59 overall grade, who's 
So 50s across the board, not very great. In three games, we're looking at 16 targets for 19 receptions and uh, 181 yards and two touchdowns among the linebackers. Uh, the corners, Cam Sutton does have a 70, so that's something, although his coverage grade is in the 60s. It's only his run defense that's got him there. Number two corner, Trey Norwood, is in the 50s. Joe Hayden is a 73, and that is all coverage, so they got one guy that can cover. Um, then they got James Pierre, which, I mean, a lot of these, if you look at the snap counts, Cam Sutton, 198, Trey Norwood, 132, Joe Hayden, 132, James Pierre, 121. So James is also out there, 56 overall grade. So in terms of coverage, Joe Hayden is the one guy, but these are not elite corners. And, and it, you know, again, he's got a 78 coverage grade, a 73 overall grade. He's the highest graded guy. So, I mean, he's, it's fine. And they got a couple guys that are fine, but, um, not staggeringly elite. Now, slightly different than the 49ers because the 49ers had a good defensive line and terrible corners. So we could kind of just attack them. I don't know if we can just straight up attack them. You know what I mean? I don't know if we can just say, well, it's a one-on-one with Devontae and Hayden, so we can just launch it up all day. I don't know if that works as well. And that could be kind of a problem. With that said, Mika Fitzpatrick right now, and I feel like something is... I, I'm, I'm just in crazy town. 28.5 overall grade. His grade, I think, got worse. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. First of all, Minka has always been slightly overrated. His grades the last two years, 79.8, 76.4. So he's never been even in the 80s, much less the uh, the 90s. But be that as it may, week one against Buffalo, he had a 38 overall grade. Ten times he was targeted, which is extremely high for a safety. Usually the corners are targeted the most. Ten times he was targeted six receptions for 61 yards, which isn't even that bad. So a 35, I mean, it's it's not good, but a 35 overall grade means he was just bad. Week two, they gave him a 29 overall grade, three targets, three receptions, 47 uh, yards. And then Cincinnati, he had a 34 overall grade, one target, zero receptions. So I don't know what he's doing that PFF hates, but he's doing something very, very wrong <laughs> Because I'm not even going to look it up. I guarantee you his 28.5 overall grade, 27.9 coverage grade, is going to be the worst in football. I thought it was fluky, but again, 38, 29, 35. Those are his three games. He doesn't have one, even, he doesn't even have a bad game. He hasn't yet gotten to have a bad game. That's, that's crazy to me. Uh, Terrell Edmonds is the other guy that was always kind of a bad pick by the Steelers. As much as everybody want to hype them, hype the Steelers for getting TJ and all that, um, they have not done a good job drafting. Terrell Edmonds was a very big reach um, and uh, 57 overall grade. I think, I, if I remember right, Terrell Edmonds, because his brother, I think, went real early, and then Terrell was his brother that, you know, I mean, he's kind of built the same way or whatever, but there was some hype about him, but he was more like a third or fourth round prospect, I thought, and they took him in the first but he's a physical specimen, whatever. I don't know, but uh, took him and things are not great. Again, 57. So again, I don't know what's going on with Minka. That's a pretty big wild card because if Minka wakes up, that makes a big difference. As of right now, Minka's terrible. I don't know if he's massively injured or concussed or he checked out or what's going on. But as of right now, their safeties are bad. Their linebackers are bad. Their corners are decent. And uh, their defensive line is top tier, 
if not the best, it's up there, especially from a, a pass rush standpoint. I mean, if we're talking run defense, it's probably Tampa. But from a pass rush standpoint, these guys are just stone cold killers. But again, it's, you know, I, I, I don't want to downplay it too much because I did that with the Saints. You know, I mean, they, they're bad everywhere. We lost that game. But in reality, although a couple good pass rushers can wreck a game, there's almost nothing on this team anywhere. I mean, they don't, they don't even have like an Alvin Kamara and like two good tackles like the Saints had or a really good linebacker like the Saints had or a couple maybe good corners like Marshawn, if he ends up playing, I didn't know if he was going to play or not or if he was going to be good or terrible or what the deal was. I mean, if, if you win a game against a uh, top-tier opponent like the Packers because you got two good players, kudos to you, my friend. But once again, it is worth noting um, this offense cannot do anything. They won against Buffalo because they managed to somehow get 23 points magically, and um, the uh, defense kicked into high gear and only allowed 16 against Buffalo. Since then, however, you know, again, week one's kind of fluky. Buffalo's been back on track, and, and the Steelers have been back off track. Um, the defense has given up 26 and 24, which isn't a ton, but it was to the Raiders and the Bengals. And the offense managed to score. So against Buffalo, they squeezed out 23 points to barely beat the Bills. Against the Raiders, they only managed 17 points. And again, that is a really bad defense. I know they've got a couple players who are shining right now, but um, the Raiders do not have a good defense, and that's 17 points. The Bengals also, they got like very little. <laughs> they, they, they don't have a ton of real elite players on that defense, and the Steelers only manage 10 points. 23, 17, and 10. They're getting worse every single week. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not super high on the Steelers. I was a little bit more worried at the, you know, a few weeks ago because I know how lethal the defense can be, but the offense is worse than I expected. The defense is certainly worse than I expected, and, and you know, all the credit where it's due to the guys along that defensive line, but I don't know how you win a game in the NFL with with just a defensive line. I mean, we're complaining as fans about, well, yeah, we got a corner and maybe a second corner and a couple good safeties and Kenny and, and you know, maybe a, a good pass rusher and a half. And yeah, we got a good offensive line and the MVP quarterback and the number one wide receiver and a you know, couple good other guys like MVS and, and Lazard who can kind of step up. And one of the top running backs in football and Tunyon's pretty solid, but but we don't have a good enough linebacker, so I don't know how we're going to win in this league, <laughs> you know. But yeah, we're worried about the Steelers because they got T.J. Watt. They got one guy. I, I don't know. I mean, what am I? What am I supposed to do? I guess I got to find a Steelers guy and bring him on and be like, "You tell me. I, I, how do you win this game? I don't know." He's probably going to tell me that their offense is real good and Najee Harris is a freak. Something stupid. I don't know. Anyways, we should probably take a break. Uh, we'll get to the questions. We'll take a live look. Let me refresh it because I'm curious for myself uh, where we're at. Hey, votes are rolling in. I dig it. We got a couple comments along with it. Um, again, I'll probably save that for last so we can get a little bit more in, but we got, uh, what, 15, 19, 24, 24 votes so far. So nice. We'll take a break. But before we do, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. It dawned on me, hashtag shower thoughts this morning, that um, it's almost exactly 1% of the people listening support me on Patreon. And don't get me wrong, it is a lot of people, and I'm extremely excited and I'm extremely grateful for it. But you got to understand, if we get from 1% to 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%, 6%, 7%, 8%, 9%, 10%, 11%, 12%, 13%, 14%, 15%, 16%, 17%, 18%, 19
to just 5% of the audience who are just like, all right, here's a buck. Just stop begging me. We're legitimately at quit my job money. Maybe you don't care. Maybe you're, you got that whole like, well, I got to go to work. Why shouldn't you? That's fine. Technically, I'm still working, but you know, it's just, I just happen to enjoy my job. I know sometimes it feels like it's not that big of a deal. It's just a buck. And, and I'm hoping for the people that give that that is all it is. And it's not painful for you to give, but just a buck when we're talking about, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now. Um, 26,000 people roughly are uh, unique listeners. That's not daily downloads or monthly downloads. The numbers are much higher than that, but they're, they're tracking like unique different people that have listened. And there's roughly 26,000 people. I don't need $26,000 a month. I can tell you that. But 5% of that, when you factor in that, you know, on average, a couple people are going to give more than a buck. And I've also got some ad revenue. I'm just saying, think about it, consider it. If four more percent of you are like, all right, fine, here's a buck. It's just a buck for you. It literally changes my life forever. No pressure or anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> also, the other, the other big thing that you could do if, if that's not an option or if you've ever done it, or, or I mean, if you've already done it and you're kind of maxed out, just sharing the podcast. Because at the end of the day, I don't think Patreon is ever going to outpace ads in terms of, you know, if this thing's going to be viable, it's mostly going to be from advertisements, unfortunately for you. So just telling people about it. Let your friends know. Let your family know. If Packers come up in conversation, you know, hey, I heard this guy. He told me this stat one time. Check out his podcast. But anyways, that's enough begging. I haven't done like a hard beg in a while, so I wanted to I wanted to hit you with it. And just know that I really do appreciate all of it. Um, still, Still shocking to me. Still remember like getting those first couple donations. I remember a long time listener Ryan sent me a message. I think I've told this story probably a hundred times, but he sent me a message just talking about how much he appreciated the podcast. And that alone was like, dude, I remember I showed my wife, like, look at this, look what this guy wrote. He said he likes my podcast. It's crazy. And I think he sent me like $50 on, uh, on PayPal. And he was doing that every month for a really long time. And it was just the craziest thing ever. I was basically, I was basically earning $50 a month <laughs> to do the podcast. That was, that was it. And it was just the greatest thing in the world. And I still, I couldn't believe it every single month. But uh, the generosity has abounded since that time. But anyways, we are officially taking a break. We're done sentimentalizing. Take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, so we're going to do our uh, Patreon question time. It's actually questions slash comments, so if you had any qu- just thoughts, feel free to throw it in there. But uh, Mikey on Mute comes through. Been a patron since April. Thank you very much, sir. In your opinion, what are the top three things that have to change for special teams to improve? You're going to make me do three, huh? Well, it's not punting and it's not kicking. One thing that does come to mind that's a little bit out of left field, and it's not technically an improvement because it's been perfect technically so far, but one concern I have is blocking on things like field goals. I remember there's there's that picture going around of basically Mason Crosby's game-winning kick coming. People have said inches. It's I don't even think it's an inch. It's it's less than an inch away. Um it's it's staggeringly close how how close that was to being blocked and just how how devastating this whole thing would have been if he would have just just a fraction of a fraction of a second jumped that snap a little bit quicker. But I remember last year Coach Hahn going through several things and um, one of the big things was he he noticed we were doing a really bad job. I won't try to use his words to explain what he was saying, but we were doing a really bad job on 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 field goals in particular with our blocking scheme. They would change things up and we wouldn't make an adjustment. He said, one of these days, they're going to kill us on that. And uh, lo and behold, here we are, a new defensive core, our new uh, special teams coordinator. And this guy comes firing off the edge. And I, I don't necessarily know that it was a problem, but um, they were coming with their best stuff on that. And, and they were trying to beat us. And I'm just concerned that we haven't made the proper adjustments. Remember, this is an internal hire. So it's possible some of the bad habits from our old special teams coordinator have uh, have you know worked their way up to our our new guy. So again, I I don't know if I'm I'm not speaking from authority or saying that I know anything. But the first thing I thought when I saw that almost get blocked is Coach Hahn repeatedly talking about if they don't get this cleaned up, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna notice and they're gonna block a kick. And so I just I just hope that's not a thing. That would be number one. Um, the other two, I guess, are if I keep it broad enough, it's kind of obvious. Well, I guess there's three more. There there's there's only like three other things you can do. Number one is coverage, and that's probably going to be the biggest one. We got to stop these big returns. And, and again, they did improve it after that one big one. They did a real good job. I know the punt, the one of the punts kind of got a few more yards than, uh, than we would have liked, but um, I guess it's hard to gauge as far as distance and hang time, how much you know ground they're supposed to cover and how much time. I can't do those calculations in my head. But I do know we used to be a lot better at it. And we used to have guys that were just incredible. We had the the Jeff Janices, for example. That guy was just an absolute ace. Um, 
and again, it's one of those things where when we have them, everybody's like, just get rid of them. It's not that important. And then when we don't have them anymore, everybody's like, why can't we be better? It's like, I told you. Listen, we got we got a lot of roster spots for guys that uh, hardly ever make it on the field. I wouldn't mind if we had a few roster spots for guys that were just special teamers. And we kind of do as far as linebackers and stuff. But, I mean, you could just designate a guy gunner. You know, if we had a Janus, I'm not saying go get Janus. I'm just saying if we had a Janus and that's really all he did, I don't care. I really don't care. Uh, the other thing would be returning, which it seems like with Kylan we have something there. I guess we'll just combine it into one because you said three things. Returning is encompassed into the returner and the blocking because that whole phase, that whole system is just not really working. We, we don't do very much. I think um, Amari is just not very good at it. He kind of remi- reminds me of A.J. Dillon as far as the style of running. It's just very upright and forward and uh, just with less authority. You know what I mean? There isn't a whole lot of wiggle and shake. And that's, I think, what works with Kylan is he's much more of a sideline to sideline, wiggle and shake kind of guy. And Amari's, you would expect him to be, but I, I feel like he's kind of that in small spaces. Like a wide receiver screen, he can kind of make it work. You know, wide receiver screen, you're, you're kind of more breaking arm tackles from guys that are standing still. You know, you kind of push somebody's helmet down and you squeeze your way through and you fight. You know, again, like A.J. Dillon, you, you just take a three-yard uh, thing and you turn it into a six-yard thing. I think kick returns and punt returns are a little bit different, and it just doesn't seem to be working. But I guess, again, the fairly obvious answers, but that's pretty much it. Eric Munn says, how do you think Stokes looked in his first start? I think like a lot of different guys, my answer is more or less, I don't have any complaints. Um, If you look at the grades, it seems to indicate he wasn't great. But I really, for the most part, I really don't care. As long as I don't look back and go, with DBs anyways, it's a little bit different when you're talking... um, defensive line. Like I said, for every position, there's there's you're either one of two things. You're either somebody that has to, is expected to win every time, or in other words, you succeed if you win. The other side is you succeed if you don't lose, right? Don't lose would be offensive line, cornerback, et cetera, et cetera. And don't lose is harder than win. Rashawn Gary, I'm bragging about Rashawn Gary because he wins one every four times, which means he loses 75% of the time. What would happen if Jair Alexander lost 75% of the time? He'd give up 200 yards in a game. He's expected to win darn near 100% of the time, so it's it's a different standard. But for DBs, you know, safeties and corners, although the, the picks are nice, the pass deflections are nice, I just don't really want to hear your name. I just if, if I don't hear your name, you had a great day. And for Stokes, I really didn't. Again, there was the one completion that I remember that wasn't great, but I mean, that's every, literally every corner. There's no corner in the, I mean, Jalen Ramsey, Jair Alexander, Xavier uh, Howard, any cornerback, I mean, uh, Darrell Revis, for crying out loud. Everybody's given up something. Nobody's catchless ever. I mean, Jair gave up a touchdown in that game. It's, it's a rare thing, but it was, I mean, the guy was just open and Jair wasn't there and he tried to get there and he couldn't and it was a touchdown and it was upsetting and confusing, but it's not like, well, I guess he's trash because that doesn't make any sense. But um, yeah, I mean, he he, he looked fine. Um, again, one of those penalties was was a penalty, but it's also one that I think happens a lot and just doesn't get called. You know, you got a guy a little bit hooked. It wasn't like a blatant pull, like Kevin King got called in the uh, in the championship game on that play where Rashawn Gary was getting choked from behind and didn't get called. You know the play. But I'm, I'm I'm content with it. I thought, I, I mean, I, I, I've been generally a fan of Chandon Sullivan, and Chandon has always been at least 
that level or slightly worse. And I, I think he's fine. Granted, he's not a first round pick, but I mean, we're talking Stokes is kind of first start, I guess. First and a half-ish. Second, I guess you could say, because he played most of last week. He's never gotten beat up on. He's never gotten devoured. And and that's not to say he's elite. I mean, we'll see what happens when he goes up against some top end wide receivers. But if you're asking me if he had a bad day or a good day, I thought it was, it was fine. He wasn't a problem. And that's a good enough standard for me, which is, again, why I didn't really go hard into the grades. Because a lot of guys, I'm satisfied with what they did on the field in this game. And the nuance of the grades about technically they failed this many times and they won this many times. And as a unit, as individuals, I thought they did a good job of, of showing up enough when it mattered to win the football game. And usually that's not my standard, but in this game this week, that is my standard. The question, by the way, was from uh, Mr. Eric Munn, uh, supporter since August 2021. So thank you. Robert Brooks tier, big man. I got to get some more. I was thinking about adding tiers. I don't offer anything else for, for higher tiers. I pretty much, if you're a patron, you get whatever. It's just, if you want to give, give what you can kind of thing, and it seems to be working. But I feel like there's a lot of $1 donors, and I wonder if I made a $2 tier if some of those, you know, doubling up is not a, not a bad. Anyways, Michael has a long question and quite a few questions, it seems. Michael, supporter since June 2021. Are these right? I feel like Michael's been a supporter in a long time. Oh, yeah, because Wayne is January 2020. I thought maybe it was just like, the last time they were charged or something. Michael says, is it normal for your cowboy, I'm guessing that's rooting brother-in-law from Connecticut, to wear jorts and have a juggalo tattoo? I guess you'd have to define normal. I mean, I can picture him. You know, I know what, I, I see what the guy looks like, you know. He's a big ICP fan with the cutoff shirt and maybe some chains. I don't know if he grew out of that or not, but, he, you know, he might have some, some chains either on his pants or around his neck. And then the... Uh, the uh, the cutoff jorts and everything else. It's a weird combo, though. Cowboys fan from Connecticut. That's that guy. I just those are a couple things that don't really fit together. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's normal enough that I can picture him and be like, oh yeah, I know people like that. Um, he says he goes on to say, I'm happy so far and very optimistic that at least an NFC Championship game is likely. However, I also know that 100% of the roster is not going to make it through the whole year. Devontae's hit was scary. I do not like that he was back on the field. I want him on the field. It just doesn't make me feel good. So what position between PFF and your own thoughts and feels is the most wary position? I'm assuming we're still talking about injuries. I mean, the low-hanging fruit is Aaron Rodgers' quarterback. I would say wide receiver, but we've seen success in the absence of Devontae. I mean, offensive line, obviously, at this point. I mean, at, at some point, there's a breaking point. I know we keep, you know, Devontae or El, what is his name? David Bakhtiari gets hurt. We survive. Elton gets hurt. We still survive. At some point, though, this the wheels are going to fall off. Um, tight end, I'm not as worried about. I don't think we have a ton of high performers, despite the uh, the hype. I think everybody's good. We're getting a little thin, but, I, you know, running back without Aaron Jones, I think, would be bad, but we'd survive. I think Kylan would would fill in sort of the Aaron Jones role, and I think he'd do a good enough job, and, and AJ would still be there. Kenny, at this point, I feel like would be a massive, massive problem. That, that might even be, I know Kenny is not a position, but defensive tackle, if we're talking about Kenny, would be massive because, number one, Kenny's doing such a good job, and number two, the other guys are doing such a poor job. And corner, I mean, you can, any of them could be devastating. Um, Savage and Amos, the drop-off after that, I think, is substantial. Corner, if we're talking about uh, Jair, is obviously devastating. So, yeah, I mean, it, 
we can overcome any injury, but also we're kind of at a point where, you know, if you throw a, a dart at the starting active roster in whatever name you land on, there's a better than not chance that it's going to be pretty, pretty devastating. <laughs> my, uh, my man, Justin, who helps me out with a lot of stuff on Facebook and everything. If you see the cool graphics on Facebook, Justin's the one doing that. He just sent me this on Facebook. This is via Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. Never heard of him, but anyways, he says, the Packers had 42 yards on their final drive with no timeouts and only 37 seconds left to win the game. The Bears had 47 yards the entire game against the Browns. That that uh, that never gets old, does it? I got I to gotta dig more into that and find out how many records I can find based on that. That'll be for tomorrow, though. Uh, Wayne, who has been around since January of 2020, asks, does it count as a download when we listen on Patreon? No, it doesn't. It's a separate upload for me. It's completely separate. Um, I don't mind though, because it's a perk for you guys and you're, you're pretty much already paying. You know I mean? The benefit to me is the ad revenue from, from the people that want to listen, but don't want to pay, which is what podcasts are. And it's a fair exchange. But, um, for those of you that are paying, in my opinion, you're you're paying for the. It's it's no different than Spotify, right? I pay for a premium Spotify uh, account for two reasons. One, I want to be able to skip and pick whatever song I want to listen to, but also I get to skip ads. You know, when I'm listening in my car and I'm in the zone and I'm listening to music I want to listen to, I don't want to be interrupted by ads. And so um, I'm completely fine with you guys listening on Patreon, um, even though there are quite a few of you. Um, in the grand scheme of things, uh, especially if we look at, for example, today, which has been an incredible download day, if every single one of you listened on here instead of on your normal whatever, iTunes, whatever, it represents about 1.7% of the total audience. So it's not that substantial. Bottom line is if 200 people, 300 people didn't listen in a day, I wouldn't notice. I would just think that that's just the numbers for the day. It wouldn't be that substantial in my total download thing that I'd look at and go, holy cow, that's crazy. So um, appreciate you asking. You definitely don't need to worry about it. I mean, if, if you don't care, I would definitely prefer you go over there, but it's not a big deal. Uh, Kurt asked a question, been around since April of 21. Thank you very much, sir. Says, asked you this before, but haven't heard anything unless I missed it. As things stand in the NFC North, what do you think is the worst record the Packers could have to virtually guarantee an NFC North title. I'm pretty sure I answered it, but I don't remember. You don't remember. And so I'm guessing we're not alone in that. So NFC North title, essentially what the question is, is what is the lowest record you could see the second place team in the NFC North getting, right? Because if we're winning the NFC North title, we have, it doesn't even have to be a, a better record. We could just have beaten the other team. So it's, we, we could say that we're tied with the next highest. So we got to establish, you know, who is second, Minnesota, Chicago, at this point, possibly Detroit, because I'll be honest, Detroit and Chicago are playing it's a horse apiece in my mind. <laughs> I don't know for sure who wins that game. But let's say it's Minnesota, since Minnesota and Chicago are both one and two. Realistically, what is the uh, lowest I guess I could see them being? I don't. Know, I feel like I'm not answering your question right because I don't know what this what what fundamental question we're answering here. But I'll go with it, and if I messed it up, just let me know. But um, low low end. Let's say they beat the Lions, so that would be two wins. Um, and they also have to beat out the Bears and the uh, 
Lions, so it can't be super crazy. But let's say that's two. Panthers and Cowboys, let's say they split is three. Uh, let's say they beat the Chargers is four. Beat the Steelers is five. Beat the Lions again is six. Uh, beat the Bears is seven. Beat the Bears again is eight. That would be a loss to the Packers, the Rams, the 49ers, the Ravens, uh, one of the Panthers and the Cowboys, and losing to the Browns. It's crazy that that's realistic that the Vikings might have eight wins. I mean, they might pick it up, but that's, I mean, it's not super ridiculous to think that. I mean, I'm giving them wins over all the easy teams. They're just losing to, uh, again, it's Browns, Ravens, 49ers, um, Rams, and the Packers twice, and then one of one other game that's they could reasonably win. I'm giving them all the low-hanging fruit, and they end up with eight wins because it's a relatively tough schedule, I guess. Let's look at the Bears because, I mean, we all have similar schedules, so I don't know that it would be uh, all that crazy different. Uh, if the Bears, let's say they beat, so they got one, so the Lions would be two. Raiders, let's call it three, although I doubt it. Um, lose to the Packers, Buccaneers, 49ers. Let's say, again, they beat the Steelers, lose to the Ravens, beat the Lions again. Uh, Cardinals, let's give it to them, see what happens. Five, um, lose to the Packers, beat the Vikings would be six, lose to the Seahawks, beat the Giants would be seven, beat the Vikings again, we're still at eight. So um, I'm guessing the Lions are probably sub-eight. Bears and... Vikings are sitting, in my mind, roughly around eight. One of them maybe overperforms and gets to nine, possibly 10. But but remember, I mean, I'm, I'm not even just trying to be disrespectful here. I mean, in order to win 10, you got to beat every team that's relatively easy and then beat two tough teams. So with one win, you got to beat the Lions, the Raiders. This is the Bears now. The Lions, the Raiders, the Steelers, the Lions, uh, yeah, the Lions, the... Uh, easy teams. Uh, I guess the Vikings and the Giants puts you at six. Uh, so you'd have to beat the Vikings twice to put you at seven. And then you'd have maybe beat the Packers once, unlikely, but that's eight. So if we're going to get to 10, you got to beat either the Buccaneers, the 49ers, the Ravens, the Cardinals, the Seahawks. Uh, you got to beat two of those teams. I don't, I don't think I'm being disrespectful. That's just, that's difficult to do. And that's, that's true of the Packers as well. I mean, the Packers have a similar tough schedule. I just think that they're much more equipped. If we're looking at a Vikings team that is struggling to beat anybody. I mean, they could possibly figure it out and start winning. The Bears, I have no idea how they're going to win games. And the Lions, similarly. So again, it's the Vikings. But even so, eight is reasonable based on what they've been doing. If they become much better, 10 and they could go above 10, certainly, but I would say between 8 and 10 is a realistic range for the Vikings to end the season. And even less than that would make sense because, again, getting them to 8 means they beat all of the relatively easy teams and just lose to the, the good teams, puts them at 8. They could be below that. They've already started off the season below that, losing to teams like the Bengals. But for the Packers, I mean, they've already got two wins, beating um, one good team. The Steelers, I think, is a win. The Bengals is a win. That puts them at four. The Bears is a win is five. Washington is a win is six. Cardinals, we'll see. I think they're overrated, but let's just skip that. So we're at six. Chiefs, Seahawks, Vikings, let's call it a win. Uh, Rams, Bears, let's call it a win. That gets us to eight. Um, then we got Vikings and Lions again, puts us at 10. Now we're 
clean sweep. I mean, we could end up losing one to the Bears, one to the Vikings, whatever, but that's 10 without getting into any of the tough games. Um, the Cardinals, Chiefs, Seahawks, Rams, uh, I don't remember what I said about Ravens and Browns exactly. I know Ravens are tough. I don't remember what I said about Browns, but if they split among those, we're looking at 12-ish, 13-ish, you know, even factor in maybe a, a fluky loss here and again, you know, 11, between 11 and, call it between 10 and 13, somewhat reasonable. And we're kind of, this is kind of what the poll question is about, but Again, I'm just judging what teams are easy and, and hard based on how good your team looks so far, and it's a different standard for each team. But I guess to answer your question, the lowest record we could realistically have and still make it into the playoffs would be eight wins. I don't see that as a realistic scenario, but if we end up with eight wins and have beaten, you know, because I'm anticipating either the Vikings or the Bears to have eight wins, but we have to have you know, won the tie. If we beat the Vikings twice and we both have eight wins, we go to the playoffs. Matthew Johnson, uh, been around since April of 2020. Thank you very much. Is it possible to compare last year's defense with this defense through three weeks? Defensive rankings such as tackling turnovers, pass rush, defensive pass rush rate would be interesting to track this through each quarter of the season to see if there is a positive or negative regression. I'm not going to go through each of those things because we're at 50 minutes already. Um, but I can do basically what we did for the Steelers. And we'll look at a couple general categories. So uh, I guess we'll start with safety because I already have that up for the Steelers. We'll switch it over to the Packers. So right now, Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage both right at 67. Amos 67-4, Savage 67-7. In 2020, let's go back. We're doing this live. Amos was at a 56 and Savage was a 52. Remember, they got off to a really slow start last year. It was kind of disappointing. We were expecting this big... By the way, Darnell Savage was my breakout player last year. I was kind of right about that. Um, but they started off slower than they're starting off now, which is, again, a positive thing. They actually had uh, both in the 50s for run defense. Tackling was 35 and 47. Pass rush, 54, 50. I mean, they're, these guys are synced up like crazy. They're like identical last year and this year. And then, the, again, the second half of the year, they both picked it up. It's like they're feeding off each other, which is interesting because I always said that about HaHa Clinton Dix and Morgan Burnett. HaHa Clinton Dix played a lot better when Morgan Burnett was there, and I said, we better not get rid of him. And when we did, I said he was going to regress, and he did. I wonder if there's something to that. Safeties that they're just kind of synced up, you know what I mean? Um, we'll go to cornerback now. Starting off the season, uh, Jair had an 87-4, so he got off to a really good start. Kevin King was at a 57-9. Chandon was a 60, so 87, 58, and 60. Uh, so far this year, Jair is 76, so he's lower. Eric Stokes is a 63, so he's slightly above where Kevin King was last year. Kevin King is a 50, so he's much worse than he was. And Chandon is at a 36, so he's also much worse than he was. So all of the corners are worse. Jair is worse, Kevin is worse, Chandon is worse than how they started last year. Linebackers last year, uh, Christian Kirksey was our top guy. He had a 33 overall grade. Chris Barnes, um, I mean, you got to keep in mind, too, these guys played a lot less compared to Christian Kirksey. It was basically just Christian Kirksey out there. So the fact that it was a 33 and that these other guys are quite good means almost nothing. But um, Chris Barnes and Ty Summers are the only two that played any amount of snaps. Chris Barnes was a 77. Ty Summers was a 61. But again, Kirksey's like the only guy. So far this year, 76 for Devondre Campbell, which is similar um, to where... Uh, Chris Barnes was. Chris Barnes is at a 58, so he's gone backwards. 
Uh, Oren Burks is graded out high, which he kind of did last year too to start off, but he hasn't really played very much. It's basically just Chris Barnes and Devondre Campbell. So not a very noticeable difference, to be honest, in terms of grades, aside from the part where the guy that's actually on the field. So so the, the numbers are almost identical. There's a 60, 270-ish, 80-ishes, and one really bad one. The difference is Christian Kirksey was our one really bad one. This year it's Ty Summers, and Ty Summers has played the least of anybody. Um, off the edge, our number one guy was Preston Smith in terms of sna- uh, snaps, 49 overall. So we already know that's going to be a massive jump. Zedarius was a 61. He got off to a really slow start. Rashawn was a 58. Jonathan Garvin was a 53. Tipigalea, who played almost nothing, was a 65. So of the two guys that played significant snaps, 49-61 is bad. Rashawn, again, 58. Just for fun, uh, pressures, Preston 3, Zedarius 5, Rashawn 7. So far this year, Preston Smith has an 82 overall grade, already has eight pressures. Last year, it was three. Rashawn was a 58. Right now, he's sitting at a 68, which is an improvement. Um, He also had, I believe it was, what was it? What did I say, seven? Well, that was probably Zadarius. Rashawn had, yeah, no, it was seven pressures. So he had seven pressures. So far right now, Rashawn has 13 pressures. He has played more, but it's still whatever. Uh, Jonathan Garvin is a 50.3, Chauncey Rivers 47, Zadarius 58, but he's only played 18 snaps. So bottom line is it's basically just Preston and Rashawn. Both of them are off to a better start than they did last year. Preston Smith is night and day. He went from one of the worst pass rushers to one of the best pass rushers, despite the fact that the pass rush isn't quite there. I mean, it's exactly 10%, which is fine, but it's it's a 60 overall grade. The fact of the matter is who cares? He's, he's doing a much better job. And then finally, the defensive line... Um, Let's see, Kenny didn't play a ton through three weeks because he was injured, but the guy that played the most was Dean Lowry, 52 overall grade. Everybody else was 66, 68, 67, 65, 65. They were almost identical across the board with the exception of, again, the worst guy being the guy that played the most. Um, This year, it's a little bit more spread out in terms of we got uh, one really good guy. Everybody else is worse than they were last year. Kenny Clark is at a 75, which is a pretty big improvement from his whatever he was, 60-ish. Otherwise, we got Dean at a 51, Kiki at a 40, Tyler Lancaster at a 61, and TJ Slayton at a 58. So Lancaster is the only one that's kind of hanging in that same zone of about a 61. Kiki's worse. Dean, I think, is, I don't know, about the same, I think. Um, if I'm not getting these guys confused, TJ Slayton wasn't there, but again, Kenny Clark is the one that matters the most. He's taken the biggest leap and I'm pretty excited about it. So anyways, again, we could go more in depth, but we're kind of running out of time here. So I hope that was helpful. It, it, to be clear, it, it definitely seems like an improvement to me. The edge rushers are better. Uh, defensive line, uh, the one that matters the most, Kings, Kenny Clark has taken a massive step. Um, Safeties are better. Linebackers are better. Corners, I think, are the only one that's seemingly taken a step back, but still not bad, just not quite off. I mean, they got off to a really hot start last year. Kevin King um, was fine to start the year, and then it just kind of devolved from there. Final one, and I just refreshed it to make sure there's no no newbies here, but it comes from Goose, who's been around since, since September of 2020. Goose, thank you so much for everything. He says, Goot is God-tier GM. I was thinking offensive tackle was a top three need, but now I'm not so sure. I think the season needs to play out. I'm thinking tight end, inside linebacker, defensive tackle, and funny enough, wide receiver are our top needs. Wide receiver, because if Rodgers and Tay stay, I don't know how we pay anyone else, so we'll at least need some depth. 
So I do appreciate the shout out to the GM because that is a great point. And like I said, the the fact that the offensive line just keeps humming, um, I mean, they keep taking swings at it, which is important, but they also keep getting hits. I mean, Josh Myers, and we'll see what Newman can do, but Elton Jenkins and you know, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And to have Elton, essentially, again, like like you said, tackle was a big need until Elton went out to tackle and we realized, never mind, I guess we don't need a tackle because he's going to be our tackle for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough to know our needs going forward exactly. I mean, tight end, I, I know they really like their tight ends, but they also keep taking swings. There's obviously something they want, and I don't know that they've gotten it. Jace was a swing and a miss. Um, DeGuara I like a lot, but he clearly has not taken that step that they want. I mean, he's only played like one game, basically. That last week was his, his one game. So we'll see what he can be. Uh, Mercedes, obviously, is not going to be around forever. I would guess this is his last year, and Tunyon is kind of the one guy that um, that's that's like a sure thing, I guess. Although, again, I'm not entirely sure how sure. Um, inside linebacker, I, I think most people would say it's not a need because we found our guy in Devondre. I just think we found, like I said, we, we found a defensive coordinator that's got a, a system that works. And I think that's great. But I, I still think, I mean, Devon, we know what Devondre is, and he's not an elite player. He never really has been. The question I have is, what if we go out and get a guy that really, really is good? What could that mean at linebacker? I don't mean disrespect to Devondre. He's doing a great job for us. But that's my thought process. Again, we'll, we'll go to food analogies. I feel like we went to the butcher and we got a piece of meat. And everybody said, and we, we've had this meat before and it's bad. And we know it's bad. It doesn't taste good. But we decided to try a new condiment. And the con- it's like the, the Chick-fil-A sauce. It's amazing. I don't know why we're dipping this meat in Chick-fil-A sauce, but we just we got to cover it up in something. And now it tastes really, really good. And so we're all talking, hey, I don't think we really need to get a new kind of meat. The meat's delicious now. Well, if you haven't picked it up yet, the meat is Devondre Campbell and the Chick-fil-A sauce or whatever sauce you like is uh, Joe Barry. My thought is the meat is not, the meat is still the meat. It's the same meat we had before. We didn't like it. What if we got some really, really good meat and then put the Chick-fil-A sauce on that meat, which is kind of a bad analogy because I'm not putting sauce on good meat, but whatever. Rub, right? It's a really good rub and a barbecue sauce of some kind. I don't know. In one instance, we have something that is covering up flavor that's, you know, fine but not great. In the other instance, we've got a perfect complement of premium meat with the perfect seasoning, the right amount of smoke, all the right ingredients to make this perfect. In other words, I'd be fine getting a linebacker, but I also know the Packers don't care. And now that they can get kind of guys off the street to make this work, why would they start investing now? Um, defensive tackle, of course, makes sense. Uh, it's one of the things we keep swinging at and keep missing. It's just, it just hasn't been a strength so far. But we said that about corner, too, and uh, they went out and got Jair, and that was great. Uh, I mean, at one point, safety was a joke. We could not find a safety to save our lives. Now we got Amos and Savage. We thought corner we couldn't get. We got Jair, and it seems like Stokes might be off to a pretty good start. So, you know, we'll see. And, and I agree with wide receiver as well. Um, if we don't keep Tay, we need to find... A, a true number one. And if we do, we're going to end up leaving a lot of wide receivers uh, go in free agency. Uh, but real quick, let's head over to our poll and see what the official uh, Packernet Patreon group has to say about uh, what they think the record will be this year. I know we've got some optimists, we got some pessimists, and a uh, whole lot of weird stuff in between. But we have a grand total of, let me do math on the fly, 31 votes. So didn't go up too much. We got one person voted eight, one said nine, one said 10. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we had one that said 16, one that said 15. 
we had four votes for 11, four votes for 14. We had seven votes for 13 wins and the grand prize winner, 11 votes for 12. And again, that's kind of right in that zone that I was saying, right around 11 to 13, maybe 10 to 10 to 14, I guess, ish. That seems to be the reasonable expectation. I mean, we, we got to see all the different variables. Can the Packers maintain this? Um, the injury thing, you know, and also what are these other teams? Because it's not, everything is not just in a vacuum. It's a matter of your team and your talent and then the team you're playing's team and talent, you know. And I think there are still quite a few questions. I don't really know what too many teams are at this point. But anyways, I got to get going. I got to get going to bed and whatnot. Uh, I like sleep. It's great. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>